What's up? Today is a very, very, very special day because it's the night one of the Spring Collective. Liat and I are prepping all day to see all of your smiling faces tonight. If you have not signed up, there is still time. You can go over to www.studynotesaba.com, grab your seat. If you are on the fence and you want to see what we're all about and how much effing fun we have, then you can purchase a single drop-in. Come see us tonight. You can do that at the website as well. We love you. Mean it. It's behavior, bitches. Hey, guys. It's Liat. And Casey. And we are back today with episode 108. Casey, what the hell do you have for us today? Okay, I was in the shower today and I'm like, after Seven's debacle rhyme, I'm really going to come up with a good one. So today is episode 108. I promise you, after this episode, direct instruction, you will not hate. Oh my gosh, that is so great. If only you guys knew how many times she had to re-say that to get the words out. (laughs) You know, there we go. But I did it. Yeah. Before we go any further, can we give ourselves that reinforcement that we so very much need? Casey? I was gonna say you especially. What's our review of the day? Well, it's been a, it's been a minute <laughs> since I've done one about myself, so I figured why not? So um yeah, this one's coming in from the chin forty two and I'm I see you, Nate. I know you. The chin. I went to grad school with him. I love it. A plus podcast. I knew Casey back in grad school and she is just as genuine in person as she comes off in the podcast. This podcast is fantastic. <laughs> I just laugh when I read stuff about me. Okay. Anyways, this podcast is fantastic. And I suggest it to everyone looking for a podcast as having prime examples of the applications of ABA throughout life. They are both fantastic to listen to. And I can guarantee that it is a wild ride. Nate. Yes, it is. And congratulations on your wedding. If you are listening. Guys, I'm getting nauseated at this point. I will be taking over the reviews to be a more non-biased reviewer. I mean, I'm starting to... First of all, I don't sit and read the reviews like Casey, but I do get the feedback from her. And at this point, no one has said anything nice about me. So this is about to become the Casey show. If none of you guys go and leave a five-star review all about me, please. All the things you like about me. And I'm going to start taking over the reviews (laughs) from now on. So, And by the way, Casey... La, 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 loves herself. So you're, actually, you should love yourself, but she's just annoying about it. Anyways, continuing <laughs> on you. to today. Backhanded compliment. <laughs> today, we were actually going to do a video for you guys to start. We've been trying to get some videos on YouTube as Julia, who works with us, is like, you need some visual going on here. But if you guys saw what I look like visually right now. <laughs> You'd be scared. <laughs> I sprayed some spray tan on my face, which has not started working yet. And last time I did that in the collective, I started off like the color of paper. And by the end, I was like an orange highlighter. You looked like Like, um, an Oompa Loompa. It was like, and it just gradually progressed through class. I was dying. The pod won't be be as long that we get like the full three hour experience of watching me turn orange. But my sister says it's better to be orange than to be pale. So I just listened to my big sis, you know? Uh, Whatever she says goes. All right. So I'm super excited for today's episode. I think we need to rock right into it. We have an awesome guest. Um, I always like to talk about how we got connected And I remember, and guys, we get so many emails. So if we have not 
gotten back to you. Please don't hate us. But this one I did open and answer. <laughs> and it came in from a girl named Anna. Um, she was recommending her boyfriend. And he does some cool stuff uh, with his BCBA degree um, certification. And so that was awesome. So I was like, that's really sweet. Let's just meet him and see what's up. And he was really cool. And here we are today. So um, his name is Chris Topham, and he is a BCBA since 2016. Um, he'll talk a little bit more about himself, but one of the cool things is, is that he started his own business called Celeration Education. Um, it's a company based in San Francisco using principles of ABA, precision teaching, direct instruction, um, all to support academic growth for children of all ages and abilities. And that's some super cool stuff that I know if anyone's out here listening that is a student, when we teach direct instruction and precision teaching, everyone is like, ah, in the standard acceleration chart, ah, right? So I know that this guy is going to be able to break this shit down in some real relatable ways for anyone listening right now. And if not, and you're a BCBA and you're listening, this shit is cool for you to do too. All right. So Chris, welcome to the show. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And uh, thanks to Anna. Yes, um, Anna. She, she said that I had to shout her on the podcast. You already did it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Thank you for oh getting God, in touch totally, and getting me on the podcast. You should totally propose to her on here. <laughs> Maybe in the in the next episode. We'll see. There we go. All right. So there's the promise. If I come back. I just started drama. I just started. <laughs> well, uh, no, I, was, I think it's a really good um, birthday gift because I don't know if you guys, if I told you that today is my actual birthday. No. So. We got to record on my actual birthday. Yeah, this is, it's Happy my birthday today. Birthday. So she got me on the show for my birthday, which is pretty cool. I mean, so that's the best her. present ever. Yeah. If right. I say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> what better How way old to are you? Man. How old are you? That's a, you never ask a, a man male. their age. <laughs> no, yeah. man, I thought you can. I, I was using discrimination. I thought, you're allowed, I thought you're allowed to ask a man. <laughs> 33 today. Larry Bird year, baby. <laughs> um, and what better way? I'm in Pacific time, so I woke up at God, six o'clock this morning. Yeah, to do this podcast this morning. So, what Dedication. better way to, to start your day? Yeah, I agree. I think on your birthday, you should not waste any time. Like, you don't want the day to go. If anyone is like me, like when it starts coming to like 10 p.m., 11 on like the ending <laughs> of a birthday, I'm like, fuck, I have another year. And it's so sad. So, I think you really got to utilize. <laughs> <laughs> the day so we're happy yeah. you could do that well, so i i was born in the uk so with their eight hours ahead so at like 4 p.m our time here in california i was already like oh it's totally my birthday because i was born over there uh-huh. so just extend it out yeah and then yeah i so. mean i'm not gonna lie it's my birthday month in june i i, I, <laughs> yeah. eat, I eat it up anything i can <laughs> All right. So Chris, let's dive into, I want to know, um, we don't get a lot of male BCBAs on here. I mean, we've been lucky to have some, but how did you get into the field? And um, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So I fell into ABA as a lot of people, I think that no one really grows up saying, Hey, I'm going to be a behavior scientist or behavior analyst when I grow up. Um, my mom and my dad are both scientists. So my dad has a physics degree my mom was my high school chemistry teacher. So oh, I was wow. like a scientist from day one. Um, and to rebel against that after high school, I got a degree in art. So when we moved to California from England, um, I decided that I wanted to go into art school. And so I got I my degree. My undergrad is actually in fashion design, which is wow. even, it's super rare. Yeah. yeah. I, actually, I was listening to an episode um, of yours with Dom 
the BCBA mom, right? Yeah. And she has a fashion degree too, which is super cool. Um, yeah, but anyway, I, I, after I did that, I started a company in fashion. So I started like a men's clothing company and I took a job because there's not a lot of money in that. And that job happened to be uh, at a, like a front office for an ABA company and I had no idea what it was. Um, so I was doing like scheduling, um, um, some of the like organizing training and, and schedules for the BTs. And then they were short staffed as there's a perpetual shortage of BTs out there. And so they trained me as a BT um, and I ended up falling in love with the field and getting back into just, I, I enjoyed the science of it more than anything else mm-hmm. and being able to help kids. So I was kind of thrown into it at that company. And then I, w- I worked as a BT for a month, maybe less than a month. And I enrolled in my master's program um, oh, at Arizona. Arizona, Yeah, Arizona State. Um, I got my master's there online. Um, so that's a background of how I got into ABA. And then um, I you know, got my degree at Arizona State took the exam, passed the exam. This was before you guys, that was 2016. I don't like, I don't know when the podcast or like the study notes and stuff started, mm-hmm. but I just did BDS modules to like a hundred percent and passed that way. We weren't so, around. You would have, um, you would have loved us, yeah. but we weren't around that. I totally would have used it, but <laughs> I'm dating myself as a BCBA. I'm like 2016. It's been, it's been a long, it's been a long time. Um, and from there, I just I worked, you know, as a clinical manager, billing insurance, um, mostly early intervention um, in clinics and schools and, and homes. Mm-hmm. Um, I bounced around a little bit. Like I would work at one ABA company for about a year and then just move to the next ABA company for about a year. And in that time, discovered precision teaching and direct instruction. And that's what I'm going to mostly talk about. But like getting those ABA companies to accept and use those principles was a challenge. So I decided, screw it, I'm going to quit. <laughs> and start my own thing where I can do whatever I want. Um, I actually, in, that was in 2020. So I worked uh, virtually as a middle school teacher, which don't ever do that. That's <laughs> like, that's, that's crazy. Um, but it was for Morningside Academy. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Morningside, but that's a school in Seattle that uses um, precision teaching and direct instruction um, and ABA um, to you know, catch up kids that are like, they call it that missing the middle 40% of kids. So kids that are kind of behind in school, but like need the academic support to, to catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was awesome. And I didn't have to move to Seattle cause it was 2020. So I could stay right here mm-hmm. in California and teach in Seattle. So that was cool. And they, they helped me start my business. Um, and I met with, you know, various precision teachers and mentors that helped me start um, what is now acceleration education. It's a long history of how I got here, but how did that, you teach it. using all this precision teaching and stuff online? Yeah, it's a challenge. Because <laughs> I mean, I'm like, it's already uh, hard as hell being a teacher, online teacher. Yeah. Then yeah, I mean, um, so precision teaching is, is like, it's a measurement system, right? It's not a way of teaching. It's a terrible, terrible name for something because that confuses the hell out of people. Yes. Like thank uh, you. Ogden Lindsley, who... Uh, <laughs> Og, Ogden Lindsley, who, who created it, he, he said himself, like, it was probably a mistake to call it precision teaching um, because people think it's this, like, separate thing from ABA, but really it's just um, precisely okay. defining behavior and measuring continuously and putting it on that scary, funky blue chart that everybody is so afraid of. And that's that's all precision teaching is. So it really didn't affect teaching online, but, I mean, teaching 10, 11, 12 middle schoolers online. That was like, thank God for the mute all button on Zoom. That's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Talk Wait, about negative reinforcement. I always say, oh, like, yeah. if you yeah. want to know what negative reinforcement is, get on a Zoom call when no one's muted and press the mute button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. So can we back up? I want to give first, can you um, break the, give us a, you know, operational, but for like layman terms, like direct instruction, precision teaching and standard acceleration, just so anyone listening before we start, you know, shooting the shit about it, they have like an idea. Diving in. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do precision teaching first. Cool. Um, It's a measurement system. It's, I, I said it before, but precisely defining so like operational definitions, right? We actually use something called pinpoints, which is even more precise than an operational definition. Um, so it's a system of measuring where you pre- precisely define, continuously measure, so no intervals. Um, you're like continuously measuring dimensional features of behavior, which means it's not a derived measure. It's not percentage. It's always frequency, which is the same thing as rate. But I can talk about that oh. because that gets, that gets confused as well. <laughs> Yep, uh, yep. So we call it frequency. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I won't get into that right and We can talk about it later, but that's precision teaching. You're, you're measuring rate continuously looking at the behavior and you put it on the standard acceleration chart. Um, direct instruction is kind of what to teach. So it's taking big concepts or skills and breaking them down almost like a task analysis where you break something down into smaller steps, um, but it's less linear. So a task analysis might be like step one, turn on the tap, step two, wash your hands, whatever. And you break it down in the order that it is. Um, Direct instruction looks at breaking that big concept down into like all of its little chunks. And you might teach um, some tool skills that are even like as small as motor skills and just putting those skills in an order that's going to affect change on the higher level. So think of precision teaching as measurement. Direct instruction is like what you're going to teach, figuring out what you're going to, what you're going to teach. And there's, there's, um, features of direct instruction that go along with it, but that's that's basically what it is. And then acceleration chart is the funky blue chart that's on the wall behind me. I know that they're not gonna be able to see it, but it's right there on the wall behind me. So it's, um, it's a standard form of measurement. It's not um, like an equal interval, like a line graph you would see in Java or, you know, the behavior analysts mostly use like a line graph. It's a, uh, what's called a ratio chart. So this, the axis is a little bit different. So the distance between one to two, because that's a multiply by two is, is the same diff- distance as between 10 and 20. Um, and so, so there's features of that chart that make it different to a regular line chart. Can I just add something in for anyone studying real quick? For anyone who's studying, who's been in our class recently, we were really going over the difference between an equal interval chart, right? Where the meaning the intervals are the same up the y-axis. So it could be like you're counting by 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. Now, with a standard acceleration, and that's also why we call it an add, sub, not standard acceleration, we call the equal interval an add subtract chart. Because if you want to get from 5 to 10, you're going to add 5. You want to get from 10 to 15, you're going to add 5. But now standard acceleration is also known as a multiply divide chart because you go up as you'll go, let's say, I always have to think about the fraction, the decimal ones, one tenth times 10 would be your next interval would be one. Then after that times 10, your next interval would be 10. After that times 10, your next interval would be a hundred. So it's counting, and you could go up and down the y-axis by multiplying or dividing. And that's why we call it a multiply divide chart. I went to a conference, I don't know, a couple years ago, and um, Kim Barons, who does fit learning, right, um, she was speaking, and I was so inspired because I had heard about this when I was testing, right, but that's all I did. I heard about it, I like, 
I, I was like, Ugh. so I want to know back when you were testing, what was <laughs> like, like you had to learn that for the task list, right? Right. Like, and so, but were you like, it, were you into it when you learning learning it, or were you no. like, ah, no, I'm not, just at test. <laughs> not at all. I so I took the test in 2016, and I learned about enough to have a shot in the dark at a multiple choice question that would come up about standard acceleration. Like charts. you're like 34 degrees slow, multiple do- multiple yeah. divide chart. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I was not into it when I first. I saw it. in all that time that I was a clinical manager working as a BCPA, I was using equal interval charts. I was using percentages, and it's. Uh, Kim and Kim Barons and Rick Cabina. I heard Rick, I think Rick first on a podcast talk about the standard acceleration chart and it just kind of blew my mind and changed everything that I was doing. So in that time, I, I did end up learning more about it. I went to uh, the Chartlytics, which is like a digital version of the chart, which I think is now owned by Central Reach. So it's now called Precision, Central Reach Precision X. And it's just a digital version of the chart, but they had like a they called it an ambassador course where you could sign up for like, I think six weeks and they basically walked you through how to chart and taught you all the ways that you could use it. Um, so those people I consider my chart parents, there's this really cool thing in precision teaching where it's like, if you're a charter, you're supposed to like find somebody and make a chart child by teaching them how to chart. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God, um, this so is like a sorority my, or a fraternity. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I taught my girlfriend who reached out to you guys how to chart. Um, so she in turn will then go teach other people how to chart. And that's kind of just how it's, how it's spread. So Amy Evans and Shelby um, at the precision teaching course that I did are my chart parents. And you can trace it back. It's cool. You can trace it back. on like three degrees of separation from Aug. Cause like whoever taught Amy how to chart was oh, that's taught by so Aug. Cool. So, yeah. so there's this family. I think Aug taught to Kim it. too. Did he? I think so. I, I think I, I would heard have her to, say that when she was speaking. Don't quote me. Yeah, on I, that, I know but. she she definitely knew Og and has yeah. a lot of cool things to say about Og. She has some cool stories, but mm-hmm. um, I'm not. I don't, I don't know who her chart father, okay. father was. It's cool. I have two chart. I have two chart moms, which is That's super awesome. cool. I love that. <laughs> this is so cool. Wow, and it, it makes you like, like I think that it's it's like a mentorship, like that I think lacks mm-hmm. in our field a lot is mentorship. And that's really cool having that like idea. Yeah. Of, like, oh, that's why I wasn't, um, it wasn't taught in my graduate class more than like, I don't think most professors really, they, they do the same thing that I do when I looked at it in like the Cooper book and saw acceleration chart and was like, okay, I'll learn like enough and then just kind of gloss over it. Mm-hmm. So it's not really taught in graduate programs, at least none that I've found so, th- so in my graduate program it was not taught but I took a uh I had to take what are those things called electives and I took um like educational methodologies and this was the book I don't know if you've ever read this it's called evidence-based methods have you ever read I don't this? think so it's by no, who is it Daniel Morin and uh Richard Malott so Dick Malott um mm-hmm. and chapter six is all about direct instruction but so we learned about this in this class, but I would never have learned about it just through my core classes for my BCBA. So I ha- I had exposed to it. I, again, I didn't dive into it until after my BCBA when I saw Kim talk, but it just made yeah. me like her excitement on how our She's field is, yeah, and our field is just <laughs> not standardized using an equal interval chart. Can you talk a little bit about equal interval, like um, line graph versus like what you use? Yeah. Definitely. Um, so I wanted to add when Liat was talking about the the y-axis scale, the reason it multiplies is because behavior multiplies generally. Things in the natural world 
multi- multiply, they don't add and subtract. And a good example of that would be if you have a kid who has like maybe one word, they can only say one word and they say two words now, like you've taught them to say two, that's a huge jump. That's a times two. That's huge. But if that kid says 50 words and now they've just picked up one more word, you're probably not even going to know Like you're not going to notice every single word that they say. So that's like a smaller difference, but on an equal interval graph, that's represented as the same amount of change. Whereas on an acceleration chart, uh, that times two is a much bigger jump up. So more accurate representation of the like scale of that change versus 50 to 51. Yeah. Um, so that I think is, is a big wow. piece of what you said just makes sense to me. Yeah, good. I'm glad. Now you're going to start using the acceleration sorry, chart. I was like, light, <laughs> light bulb. I mean, and also, like, I, I think a big problem. So if you're saying naturally a lot of stuff does multiply, it's not always like, oh, I've learned one thing now or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Like, I could write one word. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you could write multiple words. But also on an equal interval chart, like a disadvantage is that – I'm thinking of an equal interval chart. Like if it's like one to 50 on the side or something, mm-hmm. it's like soon you're going to be writing over 50 words. Like how are you going to fit this all on? Right. And then you would have to change your Y axis. Then you're scaling and stretch, it. Yeah. And you're, you're, yeah, then you're skewing your data completely. Um, so that, I mean, uh, I did this in the past too. I mean, you can manipulate your line graphs if you're making them in something like Excel to make it look way steeper than it actually is, you could just like extend that Y axis like way up or shrink it way down. And that's going to change the, the trend of your, your data massively. And it's a problem that that isn't standardized. I totally sound like Kim Barrett's right now, but it is a problem. Once I heard that I never, cause I didn't, I don't know if anyone's listening, but that when I heard that, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, you can skew your data like it, so easily. You can literally just by changing one. And I did the same thing. I went into Excel and I played around with some graphs and I'm like, wow, this would look a lot different to a parent, right? If I show this this way versus this way. And what right. is that really doing? Is that benefiting the client or benefiting the family? I mean, not really. You got to like give them a better picture of their learner, right? And what's nice about the acceleration chart is it's, standard right so you can't alter that but it also it quantifies that trend for you and that's what acceleration is so acceleration is change in frequency or change in rate over time so this is the x-axis of the acceleration chart is calendar days so you can't skew that either because a lot of the times bcbas uh, will use sessions right and you have like a data point from december and then your next data point is from the next time the bt ran that session in january or whatever and that data point goes right next to it whereas on the acceleration chart that's it's built in that that's standardized because it's calendar days and what's nice is if you plot data points over time on the acceleration chart you can then draw a line of best fit which is then acceleration line and you can calculate the slope of that line and say that oh over time this is multiplied at a times two versus if you're looking at a equal interval line graph a lot of the times we're taught to say that's an increasing trend or a rapidly increasing trend and that's qualitative you're not quantifying so do you even you know do you even know what a significant change is you're just kind of saying yeah that's kind of increasing a little bit (laughs) and you could skew your data screw your axes to like make it rapidly accelerating so yeah it's it's a big problem in, me- in measurement. <laughs> oh, eye-opening for, sure. for sure. And it's one of those things, um, 
you don't know it until you know it. And then when you know it, you can never unknow it. Definitely. And you're like, holy crap. But I wanted you to talk a little bit too about, so we're persistent teaching. I think we just got like a good, good overview, standard acceleration. And now let's get into direct instruction. Sure. Yeah. Um, so direct instruction came about in like the 1960s, I believe, early 1960s, around the same time, I believe, as precision teaching. So these things have been around for a, for a while. Um, direct instruction, um, Zig Engelman is the main guy that came up with direct instruction. He, um, I think he was in advertising and he was got really interested in like how many trials does it take for somebody to learn something in advertising or uh, like what order should we present stimuli in to where it's going to have the maximum output, maximum benefit. Um, and he actually, he had four-year-old twins and he taught them to do crazy arithmetic, like crazy math that four-year-old twins shouldn't be able to do <laughs> or four-year-old, any four-year-old should be able to do um, using direct instruction by just kind of breaking the skills apart. So if you have, you know, math facts, for example, can they write their letters at a reasonable speed is kind of a tool skill that goes into math facts or can they, you know, add and subtract quickly is going to affect how quick their math facts are. So he, he was a genius. Um, and I don't know how he took all these skills, but like, I'm glad that I don't have to sit there and like think of these higher level skills and all of the skills that then go into it and then put them in order and test it and, and come up with the best order. I mean, direct instruction curriculums are available. You can buy, um, he has some really good ones out there for reading, like teach your child to read in a hundred easy lessons or direct instruction reading. Um, and those have all the work already done for you. But basically direct instruction is dealing with the way that you teach, the order that you teach those skills. Um, it also differs from regular teaching in that they group kids homogeneously, meaning by ability level versus grade level. So if you're using direct instruction in the classroom or in a school, you're going to group all the kids that are reading at the first grade level together. It doesn't matter if they're a sixth grader or a fifth grader or an eighth grader. They're all in that group and can move freely up and down once they show that they're able to perform those skills. So it's really teaching like foundations first and working up skill-wise versus putting a kid in an eighth grade classroom because they're in eighth grade when they don't have the foundation skills to move forward. So he sense. was, uh, yeah, he was like a, ahead of his time and unfortunately no longer with us, but he was um, a genius. Liat's smiling because in class we teach, uh, we came up with a way to teach this. So they'd remember that Engelman goes with direct instruction because he died when I think when we, when I first started teaching, he had just died, I think. And I was so sad. <laughs> and so I was like, you're never going to forget this because he died. D-I. And we he like <laughs> cries and puts his whole performance on for the students. And everyone thinks she's actually crying. And then they never forget it. So, yeah. That's, Rest in peace. That's a really good way. Yeah. That is a really good way <laughs> to remember it, though. <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah. So what are some, uh, what do you call it? Uh, like parts or components. No, components of direct sure. instruction. Yeah, um, homogenous grouping is definitely one of them. But there's also, um, so there's a lot of choral responding. So it was built to be used in the classroom. So you're getting way more uh, trials in because the whole class is responding together. So if you're working on letter sounds, you would point to the board and say, you know, what letter? And then there's often, you'll give a signal. So a lot of the times direct instructions will use like a, a finger snap. What letter? Snap. And then all of the class responds at once like, oh, that's ah, like the letter A. That's the sound it makes. And then you go to the next one. And so you're getting like each kid then is getting 
you know, hundreds and hundreds of opportunities to respond versus if you were, you know, presenting or, you know, talking at the front of the classroom, like a teacher, you might ask one kid or another. So that's just a way to build in um, multiple opportunities to respond because kids need more than, you know, three or four times that are usually presented on a worksheet in the classroom to learn a certain skill. Um, also the freedom to move between the groups. Like I said, you can move from um, the first grade to the second grade to the third grade group by showing proficiency in those um, foundation skills. Um, field testing, I think, is another big one too. Like I said, the curriculum are put together and you can buy, like as a teacher or somebody working in a school, you can buy basically any curriculum. There's no real <laughs> standard. Usually they buy the one that they're gonna get the biggest discount on in the school district or, or whatever, but direct instruction rigorously will field test a curriculum before it hits the shelves. So they'll be like, I think that this is the best order to teach the skills in. And then oftentimes that goes into the classroom, whereas direct instruction will measure is like the outcomes of that and then tweak it and measure it to see if like, if I put this skill before this skill, is it going to affect the outcome? So that there's a lot of work, like I said, that goes into it. I'm glad that I don't have to sit there and do all that stuff that they do it for you. But that's awesome. Um, and then uh, the last one, I think it's just like a saying in both precision teaching and direct instruction. I wouldn't call it a feature, but they take the mentality of the learner with the child. The learner is always right, which I think comes from Skinner. The rat is always right. And then Alex said the learner is always right. And now some people say the child is always right. But whatever you're as the teacher, if the child isn't learning, you got to change something on, on your end versus blaming the child. That's huge. To, I, we always say that in class too. Like if your learner isn't learning, then you need to change the you're environment. Not you're not teaching. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like if you use a prompt and it doesn't work, you didn't use a prompt, right? Like, <laughs> um, right, by definition. So my question is, now why don't we see this used in schools more often? That's also my question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I could talk about project follow through briefly, yeah, which yeah. was um, a study done by the government in the 60s. I think it went on for at least a decade. I would have to look it up. But it was basically at the in the 1960s, the government wanted to figure out what branches of education, direct instruction being one of them, behavior analysis and Skinner and Kansas being another one. Um, God, there was other ones that like, I can't even name <laughs> right now, but because they didn't perform so well. So basically direct instruction and behavior analysis outperformed all of the other skills. I think like 70% of the growth was shown to be from direct instruction, 25 from behavior analysis. And some of the others were even outperformed by like, they had a control group that weren't really getting any specific intervention and they were outperformed by them. And they were measuring things um, like academic skills, self-esteem, I think was one of the measures on there too. You can go to the National Institute for direct instruction mm -hmm. website and they have the published data there but basically that was kind of swept under the rug like the data weren't published um somebody who happened to be working there blew the whistle on the whole thing and then it ended up coming out like some years later that hey we actually did find out the direct instruction was the most beneficial but nobody really got told that and nobody's i, I still have the same question you have if that is the case, then why isn't it used in more schools? Well, I think one thing that you said to me that stuck out that might be some reason why is that it's going to switch up the whole oh, yeah. grade level, right? Like 
you're not going right. to be technically in the same grade. And I'm sure parents might feel like, I don't want my kid who's, even though they're reading at a first grade level, I want them to be with their eighth grade peers, right? Like just like the, right. the norm that's been set because that's what it was, not because it's working. Yeah. I mean, education has, is based on ideologies more than it's based on what works. And so that is fixed in our culture now that yes, my kid is in eighth grade, so they need to be in eighth grade. Um, you're right. And you're in direct instruction. You're kind of switching like from an administrative side, you're switching like everything in, in a school. Like it, it's a huge shift, a huge change, but we know that it works. Um, I think it's just the ideology of education is more um, dogmatic. It's more based on beliefs than, than pragmatic. Like this is what works and like, this is what we should be doing. So who knows if we'll get it. I mean, there's, there's certainly schools that do use direct instruction, um, but I can count them on one hand. Um, Morningside Academy is one that I mentioned earlier in Seattle where um, I learned how to do direct instruction. Um, so that's a really good one. Um, I'm sure you can go to the direct instruction website and they have more, but I, I agree with you. It should be used more widely, especially if, I mean, that's the data, the, that's what the data show us, that that's how kids learn. So follow the data, but sometimes no one does that. <laughs> All right. So we talked a lot about that. Now let's talk more about you and your company and what you do every day and what your services look like. And that's a lot of questions, but we'll roll with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, I started Celebration Education in 2020 um, because I couldn't convince any ABA company that I was working at to use mostly precision teaching, direct instruction as well. Um, because it was, you know, against the grain. I, I think, honestly, I think ABA also uses percentages to measure acquisition behavior because of ideology. Like, that's what your mentor did, or that's what your supervisor did, or that's what was taught in grad. Like, so that's what we do as BCBAs, whereas, you know, people like Kim Barron's have, and Fit Learning have seen like the huge amount of change that they can produce with the standard acceleration chart and standard measurement. And it's just kind of systematically ignored because it's, I, I think, because it's hard, which yeah. is just not a good argument to me. No one gets into behavior analysis because it's easy, right? right? Like you get hit in the head. You get spit on. Yeah. That's hard. You're right. Like, you have like <laughs> three cases and you have like no billable hours and like, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not an easy job. Like to tell me that dropping a dot on a blue chart is what that's, that's hard. No, you, you can learn it. I mean, it's scary. Chart shock is real. Like if you show somebody a chart and they just run in the other direction, that's a real thing. I've, I've seen it happen. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that's why I'm getting off track, but that's why I started Celebration Education is because I wanted to do things that I knew were the most beneficial for the learners that I'm working with. So I'll talk a little bit about my services. It's mostly teaching kids how to read. That's how it started. Um, there's a lot of evidence and uh, data in using precision teaching for academic skills. It's, it's also you know useful in the applied setting and teaching functional skills in ABA, but um, that's just the application that I learned best. So that's what I went with. And I started teaching kids in 2020, mostly online. And it was a lot of kids who were kindergarten, first grade, because they had that year online, which is a tough year to like have online. You're, you're, that's when you start learning to read. So that like a lot of kids I was getting, um, the were that age or that ability, 
Uh, I also teach math um, as well and spelling and basically like foundational school skills, like reading, math, um, spelling. Um, and that, I mean, that's how it started. I have a couple of learners that are in person now in California. We started to, you know, be able to see some kids in person, but it's mostly been me teaching um, online. And since I am a BCBA, I've also started to include a parent training element as well. So it was all um, private private pay. Like I wasn't billing anything through insurance because you're working on academic skills, and, and that's not something that you can you can really apply to to insurance billing. Um, but I've started to do family training as well. So where I'll train the family to work with the kids at home. Um, but I, I have them chart like exclusive, exclusively my parents learn to chart. I only ever use the chart to chart, um, progress for my kids that I'm working with directly as well. Um, and I've taught some of my kids know how to chart as well. So like at Morningside, we, t- we always taught the kids how to put their own stuff on the chart. So coming back to telling me that putting a dot on the chart is hard and that's why you're not going to use the chart. If I can teach a fourth grader to do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You, you can do it too. I always actually find that like the more education you have, the harder it is to teach you to chart. Yeah. It's like an inverse, inverse relationship. Like if you're young and you've never really charted anything before, it's easier to just teach you to do it. Um, also we're like old and like stuck in our ways and crotchety and like, you're not going to tell me <laughs> what to do. Like I've been doing this for years. Yeah. yeah. That's how I feel totally. about TikTok. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I'm like a grandma on it. <laughs> Literally oh uh, our marketing person was like, Liat, you need to get a TikTok. I'm like, no, Instagram. She's like, Liat, you are so behind. I'm like, I'm like trying to do it yesterday. And I was like, this must be how my mom feels when I try to teach her how to use the internet. You know, (laughs) people have a hard time making any transition over. But But I also do think because in our field, Casey said, we are lacking that mentorship or that or some kind of standardization of what we teach, like, I mean, everyone's studying the same stuff for the test, but how they're actually utilizing this is completely different. And so you really are going to do what you learned where you worked is also part of the problem as to why people are not utilizing these procedures or these methods for measuring that we know are more effective because we just, we do what we know. Right. Yeah, well, I, I still think I'm going to do a CEU for you guys where we're going to do measurement and hopefully get it to more people. But you're right. Like you do like it's very ideal, ideological, like you do what you your mentor did. You don't necessarily go, I wonder if this could be done better and go and find something else unless I stumbled upon it um, because I was listening to a podcast about precision teaching and happened to you know, then go off and learn more about it on my own. But like, it makes me wonder if there's other things that I'm not doing as best as I could be doing. And <laughs> because you just don't know until, until, you know, that's, it's very, very true. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention as far as precision teaching is a lot of the times BCBAs will use frequency or rate for decel of behaviors for like behaviors for reduction, right? Like that's almost exclusively you're going to use, Hey, this happened two times in an hour or whatever rate you're going to, but like, why not for behaviors for acceleration as well? Behaviors that you're teaching. Mm -hmm. Like, why is I, I I'm confused about why that's always a percentage. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. If you know, like Skinner gave us rate, right? Skinner gave us 
you know, this is the most sensitive measure of behavior. Um, so we started using it for behaviors we wanted to decrease, but why aren't we using it for behaviors that we want to increase as well? It just doesn't, um, doesn't add up for me. No, me either. And I have never looked at it that way before <laughs> ever till you just said that. And I'm like, duh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, again, I think it's difficult. I mean, do what your mentor told you to do. And your mentor told you that this should be measured using percentages and we should get it to 80%. But where did 80% come from? Yes, I, I, I that, hate that. that. 80%, well, 80%. 80% of like crossing the road, like is not good. You're going to do 20% <laughs> of the time. Like, right, exactly. So speaking yeah. of that, right. Where they, okay. Say you're capping at a hundred percent, right. Whatever. But like, what does that even mean versus a standard acceleration? How many behaviors can you count per minute on that chart? I think it caps at without looking over here. Yeah, it's at, I think it's a thousand per minute, yeah. which there's nothing that you can really do. No. Maybe blinking if you really worked at it really hard. Ooh, I don't know. You get you, your like, blinking. I don't even think so. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think there's any. I mean, I've heard like there's some behaviors that break the chart, but like it's it's there's not many. Like you can't do anything a thousand times per minute, really. So you can chart as much and like basically any behavior that you want. And it goes down to a full day. So you put your timing floor on the chart. So you would put like a line to say, hey, I counted this for one minute and it happened this many times. But you can also do it for two minutes, five minutes, any, any can length of time. You can do like 30 you can, seconds too. You can too. fit it on the charts. Yeah, you can do less than a minute. You could do, I've done as short as six second timings before. Dude, I cannot I wait know. for your CEU with us. <laughs> I am going to be the first yeah. one to sign up and hopefully they'll give it to me for me free too. since it's our company. <laughs> they should give it to you for free. I hope so. <laughs> so that's awesome. And there's no Casey, you paid devil. <laughs> so over here, I know I feel like I bring this up every episode. Well, when we have someone really cool on and, you know, we are very into creating our own path in the field because it is so new relatively. And so what you are doing is creating your own path when you were like, okay, I can't get buy-in from this at other clinics. I'm going to do my own thing. And I think that's very admirable. And I think a lot of people listening have those same questions, how to do that. So what advice would you give someone listening right now who, you know, they're really interested in doing one specific thing in the field that you know, there's no specific place that they feel they could work to either get that training or work within an area that they're really passionate about. What advice would you give to someone who is paving their own path? I would say find a mentor. I mean, you know, you've been saying it's, there's a lack of mentorship. Um, but I think, I mean, when I, re when I decided I wanted to start my own thing, there was a community of precision teachers that I could go and reach out to that would help me. And I ended up finding a few that were, you know, nice enough to like spend the time and help me and teach me what I needed to do. So I think definitely, I mean, you're saying if there's, there's no one to reach out to, and this is like a brand new thing that they've just invented. Is that what you're, what you're asking? Like you want to no, apply it could, ABA no, to this? It could be an, it could be a, like, it could be that there is like, it doesn't have I think, to be that you you've invented that a new method. I'm not saying a new method, right. but there's some things we talk about, you know, that it's like, even when we're teaching for the test, it's like, look, you're probably never going to utilize this, but it's on the test. And someone, let's say, is like, <laughs> I'm actually really interested in doing more research on yeah. tandem schedules or something, you know? Right. Then there's usually somebody, and they're probably going to be stoked that you reached out because they're probably as nerdy as you are about that specific <laughs> yeah. thing. 
And you can always like, I've emailed the professors and stuff from their email that they've had on their journal articles that I've printed out. And I'm like, oh, your, your email's right here. I'm going to bug you about it. Um, so don't be afraid to reach out. Like they're just people and they're probably as nerdy as you are if you're super into something that's totally weird, like precision teaching. Like the community is great. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if any of you guys have heard of the International Precision Teaching Conference, but I went there for the first time two years ago. Um, everyone was just like, it was so different to like a Calaba or an ABAI that it was just, everyone was like, oh, you're new. Like, let me introduce you to this other person that might be, mm-hmm. you know, doing something similar to what you're doing. So there's, there's always somebody out there that's as weird as you. That's, I guess, my advice. <laughs> I, I like that advice. And also <laughs> piggybacking off that is like, what's the worst that could happen if you reach out and they don't respond, right? Like whatever, like right. you at least put it out there, but until you put out the feelers, you're never going to know. Right. So be brave. If you don't ask, the answer is no. But I just do want to say something, you know, when we were starting our, our research article review club for CEUs, you know, I know Jordan would send an email to some of these people being like, Hey, we'd love to discuss your article. Are you okay? If like we use your article to these people are stoked when we reached out to them, like, hey, would you mind if we use your article? I just, I don't know. Not everyone necessarily has, you know, access to the article. So they're like, please, oh my God, are you kidding? And so then they're even like, I'd love to even come to the, the meeting. So just think, like, if you were someone who did such deep research on a specific topic, and it's interesting to you to show, for someone else to come and reach out, that's so exciting. So I, I really do, you know, want to encourage you to do just that. It usually is going to make someone so excited that you share their excitement. And I have two things real quick. Um, what, one, Chris, would you be willing to put your um, email out there for our listeners if they do want to research you and they're as nerdy as we are and they're like stoked to talk to you? Totally. Cool. I totally would. Yeah. Um, you can put it in the show notes yeah. if that's easy, or I can just say it out loud right now. I don't know whatever's easiest. <laughs> oh, do both. I love it. Say it out loud. <laughs> uh, well, it's, you can get me at chris at accelerationeducation.com, which is a super long second part of my email, but acceleration, like, you know, the root of acceleration and then education, like a school, acceleration education. I love it. Um, or Instagram, acceleration education. Cool. Anyways, guys, that's all we have for you today. You, hopefully you could see how awesome the standard acceleration chart is and direct instruction, precision teaching. And Chris, thank you so much for coming on. This was an awesome interview. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, you know where to find us. You can find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, Facebook, Behavior Bitches Podcast, or on our website, behaviorbitches.com. That's all for now. As always, love ya. Mean it. Episode 108. I promise you, after this episode, direct teaching and precision why can't I think of that fucking word? Direct instruction, you fucking freak. Oh, it's because I wrote it on my paper. Are you fucking okay. It's like literally the one time it's written on the outline as you were just bragging. I know, I know. It's probably why it's different. I'm not generalizing these strategies. All, All right, right, Alan, save those. Let's make a blooper for this episode, okay? Hey, guys, it's Liat. 
and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard, because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who help us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 